Wow, awesome. Thank you for those generous words. Uh, you may be seated. Isn't this a great team? Wow. That's awesome. And I know some of you have been to conference last week and maybe you haven't got so much sleep and things like that, but you were just giving everything here. So good. We feel right at home. And uh, I know as guest speaker, you always say something nice about the pastors, but I want you to know that I'm, uh, I'm not just saying, trying to say something nice from uh, really from the depths of our heart. We appreciate you so much and you have to understand what kind of legend pastors you have. Pastors Dave and Faye, we love you and your family and we're just so blessed to be a part of your world. And uh, Pastor Dave, he's got a great taste for cars. Designer cars. How many here has seen or driven a Fiat Multipla? It's won many awards. It's on the top 10 list of many, many, many websites. Uh, and then Sangyong, it's, it's just, no, it's all good. They, you can just Google that and you see all the awards, these cars. And the Citroen BX before that, it's like, it's just one award-winning car after the other. It's amazing. I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. So now we love them so much. And uh, uh, of course, your, uh, uh, Pastor Ray Bevan has also been such a great blessing to our church for many years before we got to know Dave and Faye. So uh, I'd really like to honor him too because he's, he's meant a lot for us for many, many years. So, so yes, we are connected somehow. Through that, and uh, I'm looking forward to share something with you uh, this morning. And of course, my English is not my first language, so I will do my best, and I hope uh, you will have me excused if I, you know, every now and then have to try to look for the words a little bit. But I'm comforted by knowing that my English is better than your Norwegian. <laughs> so we're fine. And sometimes I'm, all, I'm also encouraged when we travel in English-speaking countries and we ask... Like sometimes we're not sure about, uh, you know, the grammar or something. So we ask the locals, you know, uh, what's the grammar in this? How does this work? And we're very encouraged when we discover they have absolutely no clue. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> Me and my mates is not so concerned with grammar. I I'm very encouraged <laughs> to hear that, you know. It's always encouraging. And Norwegians, I'm not sure what we have, what, you know, in the world, what we have contributed. We have done a few things. We found oil. That helped us a lot. But apart from that, I think the most famous thing that Norwegians invented in the world was the cheese cutter. That's what we invented. Yeah, yeah. It's nothing to get too excited about. Because, I mean, sometimes we, you know, we travel and, uh, you know, we meet, you know, the British. I mean, you've... You've conquered the world. Uh, you meet Americans, and they've been to the moon. And we go, but we have the cheese cutter. We made the cheese cutter. And we're, you know, we hold fast to our cheese cutter. We're very proud of the cheese cutter. So apart from that, uh, I guess at least we are building the kingdom of God. <laughs> and so we are Norwegians, yes. But first and foremost, we are citizens of his kingdom. And that's how we are connected. Amen. And uh, I'm very glad, you know, Katrina, my wife, I love her. She's uh, my best friend, and it's great to have her here too. And she's my greatest helper in life. She knows where everything is in the house. Isn't that great? 
She knows where everything is. It's like, you know, she has the, her data capacity about where things are. So when I ask, now this is the problem. When I ask, uh, hey, where, where, did I, where did I leave my shaving foam? And she goes, uh, or let's take another example. Where, where, where did I, I leave my phone charger? Where's my phone charger? And she goes, it's in the drawer. Okay. Now let's start. Uh, which, which floor are we talking about in the house? Oh, oh it's, it's downstairs. Okay. So which room downstairs are we talking about? Oh, uh, yeah. And because in her head, she sees the drawer. But in my head, I see the, actually, I see, I start with the neighborhood. And then we narrow it down to the house and then the floor and then the room. So eventually I discover, oh, we are talking about the bedroom. Now in the bedroom, there are 25 drawers. So let's, are we talking about bedroom east or bedroom west? We have a big bedroom. Uh, not so big, but, but there's a few drawers. And finally, we can narrow it down to, yes, it's in the third drawer from the top on the right side of the bedroom. That's, but anyway, she knows where everything is. And that's just, that's not the most important thing, of course. <laughs> She's my best friend. And uh, here we are. Now, let's, let's get to some serious things. Well, not serious as in heavy, but serious as in, you know, with substance. So I've been thinking about what if the Bible had a title, if there was a headline, because uh, as church, as preachers, we base, of course, what we say, not on our op opinions, but on the word of God. But I've been thinking if it took the whole, you know, the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and you were supposed to give it like a headline, what is it about? I know it's about Jesus, but, but you know... What, is a, what, what would be the topic? And I think one possible topic, if you were to give the Bible a title, would be comeback. That's a comeback. Like there will be another chance. There's a comeback. I think maybe if you got the picture of this, it says Bible, the Word of God. But that's, pos that's a possible title because all the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's a story about comebacks. It's a story about fallen humanity being given another chance. And you can take one faith hero after the other, all the way from Adam, Moses, Abraham, uh, you know, all the Old Testament characters, to the disciples in the New Testament, uh, Peter and John and James, and, and not to talk about all of humanity. And the cross shouts at us, there's another chance. Here's the comeback opportunity from heaven. Humanity is fallen, we've done mistakes, but God shouts, there's another chance. There's an open door for you. There is grace. Proverbs 24, 16. It's a simple and short verse, but it summarizes the whole Bible in a way. It says, the righteous falls seven times and rises again. Seven times. That's the coda. So eight times, then you're... No, no. Seven times just means... Seven times means, means almost endless. It means a lot of times. It's a symbolic number for endless. It could actually mean a total collapse. The righteous could collapse and rise again. I think that's the gospel right there. In Proverbs, no matter who you are, no matter background, no matter your upbringing, no matter your mistakes, no matter what you lost in life, there's another chance. You will rise again. The resurrection power from Jesus Christ is available for you to rise up again. There's a comeback. There's another chance. Let's read another scripture, which is the, my main text for this morning. Ephesians 6, chapter 10, uh, uh, sorry, verse 10 and 11. 
It says like this in New Living Translation. A final word, Paul says. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. And then the next. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. Wow. Let's start with the term strategies of the devil. It's a strong term. If you're new to church, maybe you haven't read the Bible so much. It's a very strong sentence, strategies of the devil. And you know, there are Christians who see the devil everywhere. You know, if, if the laundry machine breaks, it's like an attack from the devil. Or maybe it's simply that the laundry machine is 15 years old. Could be that. And I know Christians who are, you know, they're almost oversensitive to these things. Um, there's, there's a TV show in Norway that, that um, is about haunted houses, you know, where, uh, where th- stuff is moved and things like that. And some Christians, they freak out. Uh, obviously, they don't know that he who is in us is bigger than the one who is in the world. But they, you know, they go like, yeah, it's, you know. Um, I've been watching this, a couple of these episodes, you know, haunted houses. And I think these, these spiritual or whatever things, I'm, I'm not, you know, making fun of that. But, but these are the least creative creatures in history. Because the way they, you know, they move stuff. If I was a ghost... And I could move around the house. I could do whatever I wanted. I could, you know, do tricks and pranks and everything. I would do something else than, <laughs> you know, it's, it's nothing. It's like, what's that? It's so boring. Ghosts are boring, you know. So when we, when we talk about the strategies of the devil, and I, I, I am aware that those things can be real, but I think it's about something completely different than you know, moving a clock from here to there. I think it's about the, the strategy of the enemy is to make you discouraged and to live defeated. And that's where the spiritual battle takes place. So I believe on one hand you can be, you know, oversensitive to seeing the devil everywhere. But you can also be unaware that there is a battle for your soul. There is a battle for your courage. There is a battle for your calling. There is a battle for you actually to stand firm after the battle, after being bruised with a blue eye and, a, you know, some bleeding and a hurting arm or a hurting leg and to stand firm. That's where the battle is for your soul. Now, this is what I believe is the strategy of the devil. Sometimes when we get a hit in life, something is, you know, hurt or something is lost I believe we do something, and, and for sure I know I've done this a couple of times, that even when the enemy manages to infiltrate something in life, it's like we sometimes give away so much more than we need. Because it's like, because the enemy, and when I say the enemy, I'm, I don't only mean, you know, the devil impersonated, but maybe just all forces in life that come against you. But sometimes when the enemy hits one area, It's like you allow it to affect all areas. It's like because one body part is hurting, it's like all of you is hurting. And sometimes you give the enemy more than he came for. It's like if something in my joy or in my everyday life gets a hit, like have to take a beating. And it's like, okay, so I give away my worship also. 
I've seen people who maybe they have become discouraged in one area of life, so they stop giving also. It's like giving the enemy more than he came for. So he took one blessing or infiltrated one blessing, and then you resign another blessing too. Sometimes people, you know, the enemy come for your family one way or the other. And there's an area that has been infiltrated and you have taken a beating. And it's like you allow this one thing to affect your boldness also. It's like having burglars, like having thieves in your house. And they take a few things and then they leave. And then you call them and say, hey, you didn't get everything. You need to come for some more. I have a flat screen. I have an iPhone. Didn't you find the iPhone? It's like giving the thief more than they managed to take. That's what happens when we give the enemy more. When we say things like, no, I cannot serve God in this area right now because I'm hurting over here. I cannot serve right now because of this. And I understand life is, you know, one thing can affect another. I understand that. But in the spiritual, with the spiritual eye, it's like we say, no, I, I, I can't live in this blessing or in this promise right now, because I'm struggling in this, is giving the devil way much more than he even managed to take in the first place. But there's a comeback. There's another chance. And there's a possibility for standing firm, even after taking a beating. Even when, you see, if one leg is hurting, you know what? Now, this is not very deep theologically. But if one leg is hurting, you know what? You have another leg. You can still use that. Why give the devil two legs if he only hurt one? If the devil stole five years of your life and you say, no, you know, I'm so defeated. Five years of my life. I've been struggling with this thing, with this addiction, with this problem, with this enemy, with this spiritual force or with this sickness or with my health. If the devil has infiltrated five years of your life to live defeated, why give him another five? Because that's, that's almost like the, you know, the logic of the enemy sometimes. Well, you've been living defeated for that long, so you might just as well continue. No, if he has taken five years of your life or ten years, you know, there's a lot of rounds left. It's not over. There's another chance. The whole Bible is about comebacks. It's about people living defeated and then being resurrected again through the power of God. So don't give the enemy anymore. Now it says in the scripture, the, strategy of the strategies of the devil. And then it says, take on the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I like that expression. And I am aware that when Paul writes this, he's not thinking about boxing. But I'm thinking there are some parallels between the belt of truth, the spiritual belt of truth, and the actual title belts that boxers receive when they win uh, a world championship or something, you know, when they win that, a title. They have these belts. And in Norway, we have a female boxer that we are, we are actually very proud of because she's amazing. Her name is Cecilia Brekhus. We have a picture of her. And uh, actually, Katrina, my wife, she loves to watch boxing. She does. I know it's, is it okay to say that in church? Yeah? She loves it. And actually, when, uh, sometimes when, when, uh, when she's in a match, it goes on Norwegian TV, and my wife, and she is, Katrina is the sweetest, you know, most generous, beautiful uh, girl on planet Earth. But when she watches boxing, she starts <laughs> manifesting things that I, 
you know, and she goes, oh, come on, no, 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 come on, come on. And I, I actually go to bed when, when, when this happens <laughs> in another room. She loves to watch Cecilia breakfast. But, but the thing is that these belts, you know, she has won all the title belts that she can win. So every game for her now, she puts all her title belts, you know, on the table. She has not lost one game. She's won all her games either on points or knockouts. And she, her re- last game was just a few days ago, actually during conference, I think. And she won that match too in Moscow, Russia, with a Russian boxer. She was on the home ground and she won again and defended all her title belts. Now, this is my point. Because these belts, she does not receive these belts because they match her jeans. <laughs> these belts represent something. They represent actually a former victory. They represent an identity. These belts is like a title it's, that says, you are the world champion. Now, I'm just not here to, you know, hype up an emotional uh, thing right now. But I want us to understand, when we take on the belt of truth, in the spiritual sense, we have to understand that the belt of truth is pointing to a former victory. Instead of living in all the battles that we lost, we look to the one battle that Jesus won and we carry the title belt that conquered the enemy and conquered the grave and conquered disease and we carry that belt. And this is the thing, Cecilia Brecus, she's never lost, but I can tell you one thing, she has taken a lot of hits. She's gone from some games with a blue eye, bleeding over here, hurting over here. But you know, it's like, and, and the lips are a little bit, you know, swollen. And she stands in front of TV with a blue eye and a swollen lip. And she goes, yeah, I won again. <laughs> and when I see that picture, I mean, it's, it, it's re- and she's, she's actually a very, I mean, she's tough, but she's also very, how can I say, she, she's a, sweet, generous girl as well. And she's very, uh, you know, we are very proud of her. So I see this image, you know, if you can picture this woman after an interview, you know, after a boxing match with a swollen lip, bleeding over here, blue eye over here, and she stands with her belt smiling. That's sometimes I see the church when we have taken some hits in some areas. We might have a blue eye here. We might bleed a little bit over here. Our leg is hurting over here. And maybe even a tooth has fallen out. But we stand with a missing tooth, smiling, carrying the belt of truth. We won again. Standing firm after the battle. That's what we do. And she has even lost single rounds in her games. But losing one round does not mean that you lost the belt. She does not lose her title. Even if she loses a couple of rounds. And I think it's the same for you and me. We might lose a round, but we have the belt of truth that we hold on to because that represents a victory. And if you've really lost a round or two or three in life, why surrender the title? If the enemy has managed to damage your hand, why give him your legs also? I think all the time we spend focusing on the things we lost, it's like extra bonus we give to the enemy as additional bonus for him. Things that he did not even manage to take. After the battle, standing firm. I love, you know, these verses in Ephesians 6 are just awesome. After the battle, next point, after the battle, standing firm. That's an awesome, awesome expression. You know, 
physically, sometimes this is what happens physically when one part of us is hurt. You know, there's um, um, sometimes when people become blind or lose one of the five senses, or you can count your senses in, in different ways, but let's say if one part of you is paralyzed, what happens sometimes, and I've tried to read thoroughly about this, other parts in your body become stronger in a way. I mean, have you, for example, seen some of these people in the world that grew up with no arms? Have you seen what some of them are able to do with the legs? It's amazing. It's like you look at them and you think, ah, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's supernatural. The thing is, it's not supernatural. It's, it's a natural process in their body. And actually, I read sometimes when, when one body part or even if one of the senses is lost, the brain automatically makes a shift. And, and this happens, of course, over time. But, but uh, scientists, they claim that it also happens immediately. It's almost as if the brain really releases capacity. Let's say, for example, you lost eyesight, okay? It's, some scientists say that if you lose your eyesight, your brain will automatically release capacity to focus on your hearing. Have you seen sometimes people who have grown up without eyesight, how, how much they can hear? It's, it's almost like they have, you know, you wonder, is it superpowers? Are you Superman? Who are you? But it's just natural process in the body that strengthens or enforces some, some other area. This guy, he's called, um, next picture, this is Daniel Kish. Has anybody heard about him? He's the president of an American, you know, um, association for blind. And he, he had to remove both his eyes 13 months old because of eye cancer. You could call that a hit, quite rough one. So he had to operate and remove both eyes and then grew up from 13 months. He was blind, but he grew up and he took education. He learned things and he learned to develop the other senses in an incredible way. So he actually, uh, long story short, he learned the technique through listening uh, with sound waves and echo. He managed to navigate in a room and know where things are and know where to walk because he could listen to sound waves. So, and he learned this technique to click with his tongue, like this, this clicking sound. So when he clicks, this is, this is awesome, he clicks and he listens to the echo in the room and sound waves and he can know where most things are. Can you do that? No, but this blind man can. Because although he lost his sight, he can do other things that nobody else can do. And he can do things that he maybe even if he did grow up with his eyesight, he could never do that. Click with his tongue. Who can do that? I know there are some languages in the world that, that you have this language. Have you heard about that? In some you know, tribes or something, they have this click-clack language. I wonder if you, have, if you speak that language and on top of that, you stutter. Well, no, I just, that's what's going on in my head. Anyway. <laughs> Nobody can do that. But you know, I'm, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that automatically, if, one, if you're weak in one area, that you automatically become strong in all other areas. But I am saying spiritually, even 
when one of your spiritual senses is weakened because of something. Maybe even one of your skills and your gifts and maybe, maybe something that you even were prepared. I'm going to use this for God. This is going to be great. I'm going to have influence with this. And that, that one area took a hit. I'm not saying that you automatically become stronger, but I am saying that when you surrender that to God's grace and you trust him that, okay, that maybe did not turn out exactly as I hoped for. You know, this thing did not develop the thing that, you know, in the way that I maybe hoped for. But you know what? I'm going to take all the capacity of my inner being and I'm going to release that faith and release that confidence and leave that, you know, my title belt is still on. So I'm going to use that capacity for some other area. And listen... I think sometimes you see this, I don't have time to go through all the stories, but for example, when Paul and Silas, this is an illustration of this, Paul and Silas are taken into prison because of the preaching in the book of Acts. And remember, I believe in healing, okay? I completely believe in healing, and I believe in restoration of the things that used to be, but sometimes maybe we overemphasize that we want back exactly how it was. Rather than allowing everything to work together for good, and we don't worry too much, yeah, was it the will of God then? You know, that, that doesn't really matter. All I know is that I have my title belt. I don't know why I have the blue eye. Was it the devil? Was it God? I, I don't think sometimes people can become so analytical about that. And it's more important to understand, well, all things work together for good. And if this eye is broken, I'm going to develop this eye and use it for God. And you can do things that you otherwise would never be able to do. I believe even in church. Churches who has taken a beating and taken a hit in one area, I believe we are able to do things in other areas. And we can develop strength in the church that we would otherwise never develop if we had everything. So losing something, maybe this is what Paul means when he says, when I am weak, I am strong. Maybe that's one way to understand that. So anyway, Paul and Silas were taken into prison. I'm going to settle down a bit. I can't go that intense all the time. <laughs> can I get my water bottle, by the way? I had one. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, mate. So anyway, you know, they were taken into prison because of, because of their preaching of the gospel. You could say it might appear as if they lost a battle, you know. They lost the platform at that moment. They lost their influence in that particular context. But you know, even though they lost their battle, they did not give away their worship. Because they were taken into prison, and I know this is a well-known story, but I, I think it, it, it fits well with my message this morning. That, you know, when they are taken into prison, they're in the darkest prison cell. It's all dark, and they're actually, the Bible says that their, their legs are put in, in this, you know, this, yeah. Yes. I, I don't know the English word, but at least they're stuck. So they stand like this. Sometimes in, in my Sunday school book, yeah, I had like five different words, but uh, <laughs> his legs were somewhere. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks, thanks you. But, but, but um, the thing is that in my Sunday school books, when I saw Paul and Silas in prison, they, they were like having coffee and they had like a guitar and, you know, you know they were in the prison, you know, <laughs> playing songs and worshiping. And, but, but it was all dark, you know. And they were singing, freedom. <laughs> yeah, like that. And this is the amazing thing because let's, let's think about that story for a moment. Because sometimes in life, 
if we struggle or we are defeated in one area, some people it's like, okay, I can't worship right now because this area is so tough. And it's like telling the enemy, well, you took one blessing from me, so I'll give you another one. No. When one thing is hurt, you intensify your worship. And that's what Paul and Silas did. They were not in prison saying, oh, we lost this battle. We lost our platform for now. We lost this influence. We lost, you know, this town is, is rough. This is tough. So now we might just as well, you know, hope for the best and just sit here and wait. No, they intensified their worship. They did not give it away. They made it stronger. And I'm saying to you the same thing. No matter what has happened, no matter what area the enemy has affected, don't give away your worship also. Intensify it instead. Lift both your arms. And then you can worship not because of your blessings or your circumstances, but you can worship in spite of your circumstances. And that's the prophetic worship. That's the worship where you tell the enemy something, that I cannot be defeated, that I still have my, have my belt, and I'm worshiping like a title winner because I'm not basing my worship on the battles I lost. I'm basing it on the battle he won. And that's where I have my title belt and my worship. Amen. Now, the last expression here, be strong in the Lord, it says, be strong in the Lord. You know, Paul says in the last word, be strong in the Lord. Uh, because this message is not just about be strong, it's be strong in the Lord. And that's two different things. Because you could have a motivational, you know, speech and you could, you could motivate people to, yeah, hang in there, do your best, you know, just you try to mobilize. No, be strong in the Lord. And I'm going to close with that idea. Because... The strategy of a boxer is to exploit the weaknesses of his or her opponent, okay? Uh, and I think in the same way, the destructive forces of life will try to exploit your weakness in some area maybe where you are vulnerable. And I think if the enemy comes to steal your joy, he will not come saying, <laughs> now I'm coming for your joy. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> a little, little bit too much. Um, no, he will... <laughs> He will, he will go after something that affects your joy. So this is the question then. What is the root of your joy? Because there's one thing that the enemy can never take. And that's your salvation. Your righteousness. Your identity in Christ. The devil can never take Jesus from you. So I know this is simple still, but I think it's also quite deep. If the root of your joy is Jesus, how could the devil ever take your joy? Because he can take many things, but he can never take your salvation. He cannot take your righteousness. So if that's the source of your joy, he cannot take it away. If Christ is the source of your peace, how can the enemy ever take your peace? And I'm not saying this is easy all the time. To remember this and keep your mind fixed on, on this. And sometimes there are things where you, where you forget your belt, you forget your identity, you forget the root. But keep this idea in the midst of the battle, in the midst of a blue eye and some bleeding and some hurting areas. Romans 8.35 and 37, you have heard it before perhaps. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Financial trouble, family trouble, marriage trouble, relationships, concerns, worry, anxiety, 
things at work, things in school, uh, bullying, neighborhood fights, driving a Fiat Multipla, other challenges in life. I'm sorry, that's not nice to say, is it? I love your car, actually. Now, you have the, I mean, it's so spacious. It's got a lot of space. You can fit like a whole Norwegian mid-sized church in there. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> Nothing shall separate it. Listen to this. No, it says in verse 37, in all these things. It says not by avoiding all these things, not by pretending these things aren't there, not uh, never try to talk about these things, never be honest about these things. No, he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We stand there smiling with the blue eye and our title belt. We are more than conquerors after the battle. So when Jesus Christ, when the deepest joy is in Christ, nobody can steal your joy. I believe this is what it means to be strong in the Lord. Not just be strong, but be strong in the Lord. Because when Jesus is my joy, Jesus is my boldness, Jesus is my peace, Jesus is my strength, then nobody can steal any of those things. I will always be victorious because I am in Christ. My strength is in the Lord. And you know, whew, let's drink again. You know, what's the root? That's the question. Because the enemy can try to destroy some of the good fruits that come out of our lives. But you know, he has no access to the tree. And if you see your life in seasons, you need to understand this. That even maybe your last five years or last two years, you look at your fruits and you say, you know, I'm, a, I'm ashamed of my fruits. I'm ashamed, ashamed, not shaved, but ashamed of some of the things that come out of my life. But this is the thing. You can live with a bad season of fruits, but just don't cut down the tree because the tree is strong. You know, we have an apple tree in our garden and the apples, <laughs> I think we mistreat that tree a little bit. You know, <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't do any of the things you should do with an apple tree um, except for climbing in it. But we do have an apple tree actually. And, and you know, um, sometimes the, the apples, depending on, on the season, it's, it doesn't always look good. Sometimes we tell our kids, don't, don't eat those apples because they, yeah, just a gut feeling, don't eat it. <laughs> um, but you know, as long as the tree is there, I am 100% sure there will be fruit there sometime. Just don't cut down the tree. And that's unfortunately sometimes, it's so sad when people give away, if, spiritually speaking or symbolically speaking, it's like because... You know, one season or some of the fruits were bad. It's like they give away the tree. But you know, we are the branches and he is the vine. Jesus Christ is there. And if you just take hold of him, don't cut him down. There will always be fruits coming out of your life. There will be new seasons. There will be another chance. And instead of being ashamed for the bad fruits, be proud of the tree. And say, I know right now these are some of the apples. They don't look perfect. But you know, I have this awesome tree. I'm going to give that nutrition. I'm going to give that life. I'm going to give that all of, you know, I'm going to fill me with the word of God. I'm going to fill me with the promises of God. You know, this is not just a message of comfort. It's also a message of challenge. Because when you rise up from lying down, you have to leave 
sometimes we have to leave our self-pity. We have to leave insults and intimidation. And some people, they would sometimes rather prefer sympathy for being beaten down rather than the responsibility of rising up. You know, sometimes there's like a mental cost to say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise up and leave my self-pity, leave my intimidation, leave my insults. Because sometimes being insulted and trusting Christ is really difficult to unite. If you say, I'm really angry with these people, they insulted me, they hurt me. And I know those can be emotional, real things. But to say, yeah, they hurt me, so I'm, you know, I don't want to see them succeed in anything. But I trust Christ. No, that's, that's very difficult to unite because trusting Christ means that he is the root and, you know, his grace applies to everyone else too. That's sometimes the irritating part with grace. It applies to your enemies, isn't it? <laughs> you know, looking to Christ does not mean that you will lie down and Christ will you know, support your self-pity or your sorriness or your bitterness. No, it means that you rise up and say, my trust is in him. My trust is in the tree. You know, in the end, I'm, close, I'm closing now in, in, in two minutes, but I'm going to tell you one thing about uh, my family. I'm not sure if I mentioned this one of the earlier years, but my family, we went through some, many years ago, we went through a crazy season where, um, because my dad was a pastor, he was the founder of our church, and uh, we went through a season of tremendous, uh, almost revival. It was tremendous growth. And, um, and uh, of course, my parents were quite profiled in, uh, in the Christian world in Norway at the time. But our family was really struggling. Um, my mom wrote a book after all this a few years later. Uh, do we have the, yeah, this is the book. It's in Norwegian. But it says, When the Angel Children Lose Their Wings. Have I mentioned this book here before? When the angel children lose their wings, it's about my brothers, not me. My wings just keep growing. It's, it's. My first book will be When the One Angel Child Flies Higher Than Anyone Thought. But... <laughs> no, 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 no. When the angel, ch- when the angel children lose their wings, it, it is actually about my brothers, actually. And because they were living so far away from God that you... Um, they were involved with the really wrong people, uh, even in a criminal environment and with drugs and, you know, lots of alcohol and a really, really bad lifestyle. And uh, I will not go into all the details of that because it, uh, uh, there's many details of that. And now we are, you know, uh, God has been so good. And there's another story to that that I can tell another time about how God recovered some things uh, in an amazing way. But today, this is my only point. Because uh, my mom writes in this book, this particular detail, that for them, it was so hard uh, because everybody knew some of the things that my brothers went through. And you could see it on them. I mean, they had like a, uh, one of them had a huge mohawk. And that's, I mean, that's okay. You can believe in Jesus and have a mohawk. But, you know, you could just, you could just tell from the combination of everything that these guys are, you know, not doing well. So anyway, um, uh, for my parents, especially for my mom, she had this feeling that how can we lead the church with credibility when we are, it seems like we, we cannot lead our family in a good way right now? How can we lead people spiritually when our children are struggling, when the enemy has infiltrated this area so much? And she felt condemned. And, you know, there are certain Christians 
that are quite charming sometimes, who wrote letters and told her that, yeah, she should resign because of her sons. You know, some people are just loving and warm. Um, so anyway, but this, this was the struggle my mom had, and it was real. So she was, she was in her heart quite close to coming to this conclusion that we have to step down from our position because this is getting really bad now. And I mean, even, even police coming to our house a couple of times. There are some stories from that season, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so my mom thought that we, maybe we have to step down. And I'm just so glad, I'm so glad that uh, God was faithful and even through words of knowledge and some, you know, I'm not the one who believes that we should, you know, go around, prophesy all the time. But there was a couple of people who came into the life, spoke to my parents, spoke to my dad, spoke to my mom in a way that was just words from heaven. Ain't that awesome when the prophetic words comes in the right season at the right time? It's just, it can change your life. So I'm so glad that my mom, she did not give away her title belt. She did not give away her calling. She did not give the devil her influence and her platform because, just because the devil had infiltrated one area. In fact, today, her story has comforted so, hundreds of families in Norway, especially families in ministry who've been struggling with the same things. Now, if these things had never happened in our family, it would be, my mom would have no, you know, platform of influence for talking about these things. And I'm not saying it was the will of God. I'm just saying that <laughs> when one area is lost or one area is even weakened or infiltrated, you can actually become stronger. And now her story has helped so many and giving hope to families and actually brought people back into ministry and back to Christ. And this feeling of disqualification she had was just something that she surrendered to God and to the grace of God. And actually a few years later, amazing things happened. And especially one of my brothers came back to Christ in a strong way. The other one has another story. But anyway, the point is that God recovered eventually. Uh, and imagine if, if then, what would you say when... God recovered things, but then you gave away the other things. So let's say, let's say our family came back to the Lord, but meanwhile, imagine if they'd given away their platform, given away their calling. It's like, oh, yeah, the family is healed, but what about we gave them away so much? No, it's time to not give the devil anything else. Not give him anything more. You know, you can worship with a blue eye. You can worship with a bleeding in this area. And I'm not saying that God is not able to heal also. I'm just saying that that's maybe not the main point sometimes. The main point is like Paul and Silas. And the whole worship team can come up, please. It's like Paul and Silas to raise your hands in worship. Taking a beating, you know. Even being taken to arrest. And your legs are hurting and you're bound, you know, with your arms and your legs. But you're still worshiping. That's how you and I can worship. And you know, sometimes I heard this illustration, man. Quite a few years ago from Ray Bevan. So this is very suitable, I think. He, he used this illustration. He said, in a boxing ring, to get knocked out, you need the, the ref, you call it the ref, to count to 10 and then you're out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. If you're not stood up within the number 10, then it's a knockout. You're gone. The title is gone if you're a world champion. Now in the boxing ring, if God is the ref, 
<laughs> and he is counting and you are lying down. He counts like this. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. 512, 513, 514, 5,412, 5,400. <laughs> we can go on. And the God's grace is waiting and saying, you know, I can count as long as I need to, but I'm waiting for you to rise up again. But you say, no, but I've been lying down for 15 years. I've been surrendering my calling. I've been surrendering my worship. I, you know, I've been defeated in those areas. I've given away some of these things. I've stopped praying because I'm so discouraged by that. Well, God is still counting and smiling and saying, hey, get up, get up. I'm waiting for you. That's how the grace of God works. Even if you are here and maybe you're not sure, even if you're a believer, if you're a Christian. And maybe, you know, sometimes I hear people say, no, I can't believe in God because he didn't heal my grandma. And sometimes I wonder why. Because it's not like without God, you have more hope. It's not like, because sometimes people are even bitter and angry at God because he didn't help me with that. Why did he allow that? And it's like, yes, I don't have perhaps this morning the answers to that. But one thing I know is that without God, it's not like you have any more hope then. Like saying, oh, why didn't God do it? I, I'm, I'm rejecting God because that happened. Well, well, now you're by yourself anyway. I'm not, but secondly, I don't have the answers to that. But I know one thing, God's grace is counting. And he's saying, you know, I want you, although maybe one area was a disappointment, I want to fellowship with you, God says. I want you to rise up and take the identity belt and say, you're welcome home. And take on the victory that I won. And whatever bruises you have, whatever bleedings you have, look at him up the cross. He bled. He had some bruises. He was completely, you know, paralyzed in a way. But he did that for you. He did that to win that victory so you could take on the belt of truth and take on the breastplate of righteousness. And so you, you could stand firm after the battle, being a conqueror in all things. Now I will give you one challenge. If we could close our eyes uh, for a second. And I, I hope that this message has been encouragement to everyone. But right now, I'm just focusing on those of you who know that this is, this is descriptive of something that has happened in your life. Maybe you stopped worshiping wholeheartedly when this other thing happened in your life. Maybe you gave up some things, gave up some dreams. Maybe gave up some values that were important to you because some other things happen. Maybe because you struggled in one area, you took on another addiction in another area. I don't, I'm not sure what your story is, maybe. Maybe you can think about that yourself, but I want to give a very specific challenge. In a moment, I would say as I pray and as we're gonna worship in a moment, I would, not yet, but soon, I would ask you simply to just stand up in your chair, just keep your eyes closed for now. And if you want to make a simple statement and say that, I'm going to keep my belt. No matter what has happened, no matter what the past, no matter which area I have lost, no matter which of my senses that are weakened, I'm going to take on my belt and I'm going to make a statement and I'm going to tell, you know, heaven and all spiritual authorities that I still have my belt. I have my identity. I know, I don't know how it is over here, but I know in the Norwegian culture, stand up in a chair in the church, it there's a little cost to that sometimes. But hey, we're among friends now. And we'll keep our eyes closed. Everyone keep our eyes closed. So we just keep this 
you know, sort of semi-private for a moment. But I would ask you in a second, if you want to take your belt back and you want to tell the devil that you are not getting one more year, you are not getting another blessing just because one blessing got away from me. If you want to make that statement and rise up, you have to know that God is smiling, God is counting. And whether he's come to 20 or he's come to 5,400, he's smiling at you saying, I'm waiting for you to stand up. The belt is not lost. The title is not lost some rounds are lost but the title is not lost so I'm asking as all eyes are closed I would challenge you right now if you want to make that simple statement and worship this morning would you please stand up in your chair right now and make that statement just be bold be bold don't worry about the people around you just make that prophetic statement that's awesome that's awesome oh just keep keep standing up if that's you good just keep your eyes closed keep your eyes closed so many people standing now so it's it's not even embarrassing if, if there's another few who needed to wait a little bit. Keep your eyes closed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, you are so good. Thank you that your whole story is about restoration and resurrection and comebacks. Thank you, Father. I pray right now for maybe even some families who can recognize the story I told. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would take on this belt and this breastplate of righteousness and say that, God, I'm not sure when the fruits come. I'm not sure why the fruits don't seem to be perfect right now, but I have the tree and I will keep the tree planted and there will be a new season and there will be a new time. I pray in the name of Jesus that you restore some people's worship right now. Some people for so long you've been during worship, you've been watching, you've been a spectator because in your heart it's like, no, I cannot wholeheartedly surrender my worship to God because these things are hurting so much. I would challenge as we're going to worship in a couple of minutes, I would ask you to just worship as you've never worshiped before. Make it a statement because what happened with Paul and Silas was that there was an earthquake. Something happened. Chains broke and prison doors got opened and I believe some of the things, things can happen. So I'm going to pray for you and then we're all going to worship together. So I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus that people this day, this morning, this day would leave this place with a new hope, with a new knowledge, with a revelation that the enemy will not get one more area. I thank you for there are comebacks this morning. I pray in the name of Jesus that in the next weeks there will be stories, there will be testimonies. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will restore some people's worship. You will restore some people's worship. That as we worship in the next moment, it's going to be a prophetic statement for people people. I pray in the name of Jesus that they would leave this place with hope and comfort and knowledge about their identity, about the victory that you won in the name of Jesus. I pray for this church, no matter which battles, no matter which bruises, no matter which bleeding it possibly could have taken that I know and don't know about. But I pray in the name of Jesus that King's Church would take the belt and say that we are have a calling in the city. We have a purpose in the city. We have the breastplate of righteousness. Our identity is in the victory that Jesus won. Let's stand up everyone to our feet and then let's worship.